0: To the Just James Horror Review. I am your host, Just James, and today we are talking about the 1980 film Fade to Black. This is episode 28. There, listener, and welcome back to the Just James Horror Review. Today we are talking about the 1980 film, Fade to Black. I've seen this on Shutter. it's just popped up in the random whatever, you know, you might want to watch this, and the cover of it looks cool, it's got a guy where half of his face is painted in this really high contrasted black and white, and I read the description, had a couple of good reviews, so I thought... Let's check this sucker out. It's supposed to be a well-known horror film that I've never heard of, so I decided to give it a chance. Its director is Vernon Zimmerman. He was also the writer. Uh there's not really anything else that he's done that I think is notable to that you would immediately recognize, but he's done some some other stuff. You just have to look it up. Also, the actors Dennis Christopher and Linda Carriage are probably our two most notable characters in there as far as like main characters i guess everyone sort of has equal screen time except for dennis christopher's character he's probably he's the ch- he's the biggest chunk of the film so they all have a bunch of extra credits you'll just have to go on imdb bd imb imdb i am you know what i'm talking about go on there and check them out they've been in a shit ton of series and things since this film so uh, they did great acting in this and i did enjoy this film let's get into it So, I think there's going to be two major themes in this movie. One is escapism through films, and the other one is going to be a xenophile. Now, I think that's what the word... I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but I think it's just someone that's obsessed with films, which our main character is going to be in this film. And it's about what film is doing to America's youth. It's hit pretty hard in this film, so I don't know what was going on in 1980, that maybe this was just kind of reflecting the culture at the time, maybe whoever, you know, Congress or whoever's running stuff was making a big deal about, hey, all these films are coming out with all this just degenerative behavior and murder and all this stuff, and we're afraid that our youth are going to start mirroring these actions and starting to see do what they see on film and of course that argument's been around forever it's a you know it came out with video games I'm sure it came out when the radio broadcasts were coming out it's just anytime something like this comes out where it's presented to the youth and some people you know perform some of the things that they've seen or heard they think they want to blame, you know, the production, whatever it is, the, the movie or, or whatever, like these are the reasons that we are having these issues. Um, hopefully we're all smart enough to know that it's no one singular issue that does that. And, uh, but at the time, I don't know if there's a lot of fear going around about that. So if you do know, if there was something really significant in 1980 or the years before or after that was really pushing this type of, I don't know, narrative in films or whatever, let me know because I'm clueless. So yeah, but... Either way, I like this film. It's going to start with Eric Benford, our main character, who's played by Dennis Christopher, and he's on a bed smoking some cigarettes, watching these classic black-and-white films, and his room is small and cramped, and there's just room for like the bed and this little shitty TV and his ashtray on the bed. And how, how cool is... Okay, maybe it's not cool, okay? Smoking's awful. It's horrible for your health if you've ever had to watch somebody, you know, die slow from the effects of smoking cigarettes. It's fucking awful. Okay. But Boy, oh boy, does it look fucking cool on film, all right? So this kid's just sitting on the end of his bed, smoking a cig, watching these films, and his room is just scattered full. The walls are covered with movie memorabilia and, more specifically, black-and-white films. It seems to be the his, uh, his taste because it's all different pictures of all these classics. And I don't know all of them, so if you are one of those people who knows all that stuff, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be saying the names of the actors like the Humphrey Bogart stuff and all that. I just don't know them because I've never really seen... Really, a lot of them at all. I've seen some of the old black and white films, the old horror films, which are really cool, but I couldn't tell you the main stays that everyone knows about, especially if you're really in the film. Come at me, whatever, in the comments. I don't know, I don't know, all right? I'm lazy, I'm lazy with my films, all right? So, we're moving on. He's in his room, he's smoking a cigarette, and it shows a elevator come up, and a woman, an older woman comes out in an electric wheelchair, or motorized wheelchair, and she looks like... Mimi from Drew Carey. Now, I don't know if they did that on purpose or maybe that was the look back then, but she looks like a caricature of what a person you know, who's like, it I don't know if they meant for her to be a joke or not, or if they purposely made her a little over the top, but she kind of is. She's this old retired dancer that we find out who is in the biz. So maybe that's what it is. She looks like a washed out person that used to be in the business. You know, she still wants to be a star. So maybe that's why she's all dressed up the way she is with her hair and her really over the top type stage makeup. So anyway, she comes into Eric's room and she is a complete bitch. Oh my god. She rides his ass immediately so hard. And you don't know the story yet. Maybe he deserves it. I don't know. But she is super hard on him telling him that he's you know, he's gonna die before he's thirty. He needs to get up and go to work. This is not how a person is supposed to live, you know, you're just mooching off me. And then she gets even oh, her name is Aunt Stella. Of course it is, right? Stella. All right, yeah, so of course. Again, I don't even know what fucking movie that's from. I just have a friend that says it a lot. Andrew, if you're listening, Stella, I don't know what that's from. I know you reference it a lot. My bad. I'm sorry. I know you love that movie. So anyway, she's hammering about all this stuff. And then she says that it's his fault that she's in a wheelchair because she had to leave a party early one time to come pick him up from a babysitter. And he's like crying kind of, he's like, I was four, I was sick, you know, it's not my fault. And so she's, you know, hammering this guy who, I call him a kid, but she said he died before his 30s. So I'm assuming he's in his early 20s maybe. And uh, yeah, she's saying it's his fault that she's in that wheelchair. Wow, that's crazy. And you get the idea that she's been saying this to him probably his whole life and guilting him into this. So she goes on to call him, you know, worthless and all this, and then even takes a next step to say that you're worthless just like your father, and he turns real quick and snaps on her, and he says, I know, and it is sad as shit. What a sad statement. You can tell that he's just been beaten down by her for however long they've been together, and that he now believes or has self-fulfilled, you know, the the prophecy, I think that's what it's called, in sociology studies or what are self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, someone says it a bunch. We're like, well, if they say it, then I must be it. So that's kind of the situation he finds himself in. And it's pathetic and sad. And you feel bad for this dude right off the bat. So I guess the last significant thing before this scene ends is she starts talking to him about how he needs to eat healthier food. And she keeps calling it health food. And she's giving him all this... You know, I don't know what it is, but it's labeled on the table, different foods. And it's like health food, you know, health grains or whatever. And you can tell it's kind of that as seen on TV, you know, the sleazy sales guy on TV, you know, bullet Think that kind of shit, you know, someone trying to sell you those things. And she's just all about it. And she's this, you know, obese woman in a wheelchair smoking cigarettes telling him that he needs to be more healthy. And you could tell that that pisses him off. And the last part that's going to come back later in the movie and i think goes with the theme is she said that you're never going to make it in this life just always spending your time with these escapist trash tapes and this is going to be our overarching theme throughout the whole thing about people using films as escapism where they don't have to live their life they can live vicariously through the lives of those on film so anyway Eric goes to work, and where does he work? Well, where would you work if you are into films? Well, a film studio, of course. So he goes into work. It's this big, huge studio filled with giant, uh, those metal boxes of film. And I'm going to guess that's just where they process film. Like, they would get the films and cut them and splice them all together and then distribute them to movie theaters and wherever else. And it's funny because when they're in there, you can tell these, the guys that work there are actually into film. Maybe they want to be actors, something like that, because the conversations they have are about movie trivia. So you might think, you know, in some jobs, guys might argue about sports or whatever else. These guys are actually arguing about films and who different actors were, or what quotes came from what and all that. And they actually are making bets on it. So, so Eric makes a bet with a guy and he asked him, what was Rick's full name? in Casablanca. So have you seen that movie? If you have, do you know what Rick's full name is without Googling or anything? And he tells him the same thing. You can't read the script just from memory. And of course the guy's like, you know, man, I've seen that movie. No one's seen that movie more than me. I know that movie forwards and backwards or whatever. Of course I know what Rick's name. Is. And he's like, okay, let's make a bet. So he bets him. And then when he tries to think of his full name, he can't think of it. Now I'm not seeing this film. I'm not big on my black and white films, like I said before. So is this a hard question? You know, have you seen that film? Is this a difficult question? I feel like who the director put it in the movie, and you can tell this guy's probably a movie junkie too, but a lot of gatekeeping going on with this character, and it kind of pisses me off because people that do that, it's for some odd reason like you're not as intelligent because you can't remember Rick's full name in Casablanca. You might know everything else about the film or might actually love the film more than that person, but all they care about is you know shit trivia who who cares right but anyway all right sorry sidetrack so back you know he he tells the guy that guy is trying to think of it and he's like i'll give you 48 hours to think about it because he already knows there's no way this dude's gonna know he's like it's in the film if you're a fan you should know and you'll never guess the guy that he's making this bet with is mickey rourke a 1980s mickey rourke let me tell you this guy looks a lot different than he does today that's for sure he doesn't look like a fucking jack-o-lantern um you know, but, yeah, young Mickey Rourke, he's still a, a strap dude, does a good job in this movie. Not a real big role. Well, he does, I mean, you guys know I give spoilers away, so we'll walk through the film. He dies in this film, so I guess maybe that's a significant role if you're part of one of the death scenes in a horror film. Well, yeah, so, okay, like Paris Hilton in House of Wax, right? She died in that movie. Was that a big role for her? I don't know. Uh, funny story, and I've told some of you this before, but uh, I actually saw that movie in theaters, and when she got her head, that pole kicked through the back of her head, like he kicked her head down on the pole, and it went through her mouth and out the back of her head or whatever. And uh, the people actually clapped. Yeah, the people in the theater clapped at that part in the film. So, yeah, they're fucking sick. But anyway, I re- that's a good movie. I should review that. All right, so from their interaction, we get the idea that Eric's a loser, not only at home, but at work too. He doesn't really get the respect at work, even though he knows all this stuff. And all throughout this film, he is spouting facts. And of course, it's just to let you know that he is all business when it comes to film. Not only is it escapism for him, but he also, it's his whole life. There's even a part where he says he saw a movie every day. He saw three movies a day for a year. You know, that's how intense this guy is. And he knew like what was playing at the cinema when JFK was assassinated and all kinds of other weird facts like that to the point where you're like, okay, bro, you're a little much. He's that guy at the party, right? So we cut to a scene where we're going to meet our second, I'll, we'll call her main character. It's played by Linda Carriage and it's Marilyn O'Connor. And they call her Marilyn. She's a Marilyn Monroe lookalike, just trying to make it in you know, the city. And she is striking in this film. I'll say it. You know, she looks very much like Marilyn Monroe. Her hair's got the super blonde. Her, her She's really fair-skinned. And she's got the, the sleepy eyes or the lazy I mean, I don't know. Is that You don't call it a lazy eye, do you? Marilyn Monroe had lazy eyes. You know what I mean. She's always like, maybe because she was high on pills the whole time, I guess we find out. But, um, you know, she's kind of had those doughy, soft eyes. I don't know how to fucking... Describe it anyway, but the one thing that you I guess is the biggest shock to you when she talks, she's from Australia. So yeah, so shout out to the Creepy Crap Podcast. Shout out to Danny Boy, made it in the movies, 1980 film anyway, with a Marilyn Monroe lookalike from Australia. Is she big there? I'd like to know. Maybe you could comment on this video. That'd be awesome. Anyway, you meet her and her friend, and they go to this diner. And they're having themselves a little little snack when all of a sudden Eric comes in and you can tell he's a regular because the dude behind the counter is like, "You want the regular kid?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And I will say it's so everyone's so cool in the 80s. Like he still has like a leather jacket and his hair's got that cool like flip thing in the front, you know, even though he's a creepo. So he notices Marilyn and he instantly goes into fantasy mode. So you see her stand up and she's in this sequence dress thing and like singing to him and kissing at him and all that. Well, then it goes back to reality and you see that he's just eyeballing her like a creep. Well, her friend picks up on this and just, you know, immediately starts talking shit to him. And Marilyn actually starts kind of, I want to say at first, maybe she was playing with Eric a little bit, you know, just kind of giving into his fantasy because you can tell she thinks the dude's kind of weird. But maybe she kind of likes the attention and feels like, well, he's harmless. There's no harm in kind of playing in this fantasy with this guy. And then she says he's kind of cute. And then fucking leaves with him, right? Because he's obviously a creep and even tells her friend. And her friend's like, you've got to be kidding me, whatever. No, she gets on his little moped. Oh, I forgot. He shows up on this little moped thing where he delivers film for the film studio that he works for. So in film studios, I guess they just like put all the different films together and distribute them. Did I already say that? Maybe I didn't. Anyway, so she gets on there with him. She goes and he asks her out on a date. Like, hey, do you want to go to the movies? Of course, what other date would he ask for? And she's like, sure. And again, like I said, this is all really fast, but you know, they're young, they're kids. Uh, Why wouldn't you? So now we've been introduced to those characters. They're pretty, this is a pretty standard format of movie here. There's no big surprises here. It uh, It's pretty cut and paste with its format, I'll say, which doesn't make it a bad movie. It, it moves, you know, just how it's supposed to. But we cut to a scene. Now we're going to meet our next group of people. It's a police captain, a psychologist, and a police officer. And the whole idea of this scene is them just setting up where the, when the murders start happening, these are the people who are going to investigate. And so I, I forgot to mention because it wasn't super important. We were introduced to them maybe a little bit earlier in the film. And like I said, with the time period that it is in the 80s, there's a lot of dated things in this movie. And one of them is where I can't remember what I mean, they're in Hollywood. Duh. And so they the captain is giving the psychologist dude a bunch of shit for being Irish, like make, making a bunch of Irish jokes towards this guy. Just, you know, kind of, I, I guess, you know, uh, culturally inappropriate jokes towards the Irish, just giving him shit for being Irish. And he means it. So, you know, that's kind of like, whoa, fuck, you know. But for the movie, he also doesn't like this guy because he's not talking about just straightforward police work, which is what the captain's about. And this other guy... They make it a big deal about how he is trying to save the youth by taking a more psychological approach to things and looking at like, hey, it's not their fault. They've been influenced by all these movies and all these different things that they see on television. And they don't have people in their life to tell them that it's not true and that there's other ways and all this kind of stuff. Sound familiar? Of course it does, because it's been around for fucking ever. But he's just trying to find a different way to rehabilitate people or to teach people ways of doing things instead of just, you know, throwing them in jail and throwing away the key kind of thing. So, of course, he's that new way of thinking. The captain's not having any of it. He assigns an officer to him because he's not a police officer, so that way he can operate in their station and all that. So after the Maryland scene, we cut to that guy, the Irish dude. He's downstairs in the basement just ripping on a harmonica, right? He's fucking jamming out on this harmonica. Then out of nowhere... He just snorts a, a, a bump of coke off his thumb, just gives himself a, a big o toot right there, then lays into that harmonica a, a little more because he's all juiced up. And the funniest part about this is, like, the there's a female cop that's assigned to him, and she sees him, and she's kind of making, like, sweet eyes at him, you know, because it's the 80s, of course, so everyone has to be that, you know— every man has to just be fond over, right? So she's like, she's looking at him like, you crazy guy, you know, I didn't know he had this kind of talent. When he takes that bump of coke off his arm or or thumb or whatever, and I'm thinking, because she seems like in the, when they introduced her as a straight-laced, you know, police officer type, she sees that and she kind of just shakes her head like, you silly goose, you crazy man, you know, this is just crazy. I can't believe it. But has no, like, no other thoughts about it whatsoever, you know, not, and to me, that was just super weird. I think you'd be like, hey, bro, why are you snorting coke down here at the in the basement of the police station? It's a little fucking weird. But she doesn't care. I guess she thinks he's cute. And so, oh, what she does say is she finds him extremely interesting. She looked into his background. She believes in his work. And she couldn't wait to meet him and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It was a weird spot for me in the film. And if that sounds weird... It's about to get weirder because after the Maryland scene, we cut to a scene of those two doing what after playing the harmonica in Snort and Coke? Well, when you see someone that you like doing that, what do you do? You sleep with them right away because that's what happens in this film. (laughs) But it is kind of funny because they're under the sheets. I guess they had just got done and the dude like throws the blanket over and yanks out a box of Cheez-Its and start eating. And I was just kind of like, okay, I get it. You know, that's kinda who doesn't want to do that, right? Right after? I mean, I don't know. Munch on a box of Cheez-Its. Sounds good. She ate some, too. So, whatever. Anyway, they have this funny conversation about, you know, whatever. It's kind of insignificant, whatever. And, uh, But what is funny is right before the scene ends, he says, as he's chewing these Cheez-Its and talks through him chewing it, he's like, I've never fucked, fucked a cop fucked before. A cop and and sure. then it's a <laughs> goes to black. I thought that was a really funny part. So we cut to Eric waiting on Marilyn for the date that they had planned. He gets all dressed up. He even told his aunt before she left, and he had to borrow some money from him, so we know that he's broke. And the aunt says some weird shit like, you better be home before it's dark because I need my back rub, and she gives him some, like, weird winky eyes, so don't know what that's about, and it's not really addressed anymore in the film. But he goes out to meet Marilyn at the movies, and she never shows up. And I think he waits out there for a few hours and she never shows up. We actually cut to a scene of her on a date with another dude. What? What a bitch. No, she honestly forgot. And in the movie, they make it a point to let you know that she honestly just forgot about it. And so she gets in a cab, drives over there. But of course, it's been hours. And so Eric isn't there anymore. But before Eric went home, he did proposition a prostitute who immediately blew him off. So now we know that, you know, is aunt doesn't want him. His job doesn't want him. Nobody wants him. He can't even get love from a prostitute. So this poor guy is just spiraling into a dark place. So he goes home after receiving this rejection, and his aunt, of course, is just pooing all over him again. And she comes in because he's in there watching you know, some black and white film. I think it's Kiss of Death. I'm not sure. There was something in the movie that referenced that. So I'm going to say that's what it was. But again, I don't know all these black and white films. I don't know. And she comes in, he's watching it on this big, huge projector. And she has her little cane when she wheels in there and just knocks it over. Well, in that movie, he's watching a scene where the guy throws this woman after tying her up, throws her down the stairs in a wheelchair. So A little bit of foreshadowing there, and then that immediately happens. He has this mental break that you get to see on camera where he becomes the character on the screen in his mind. And what does he do? Well, he throws his aunt down a flight of stairs. He throws out a couple of lines after doing it, which is a movie reference that I don't understand. Maybe you will. And then we cut to a scene of him putting on some really sweet Dracula makeup. And goes to the movies and watches Night of the Living Dead at the theater. How cool is that? Everyone's all dressed up in this, you know, in Halloween attire or whatever, uh, but his Dracula costume is on point, and again, he's got all these props laying around, so he's, you know, it's easy for him to do, but that makeup is what you see on the cover of this movie, depending on where you're watching it, like the little title screen thing, that's what that is. I thought it was him trying to look like he was from a black and white film, but no, it's just him, you know, putting on the persona of Dracula, which is... So, yeah. Anyway, looks good. He goes to the movies, you know, having some him time after killing uh, his auntie. And from there, we forward to Marilyn's house where, guess what she's doing? It's the 80s. She's a blonde vixen. She's taking a shower. Of course she is. She's taking a shower. We get that. You know, now we got everything we want. We got guns. We got cheese. It's after sex. We got a shower scene. It's all just coming together like the '80s films do. Well, anyway, so Eric goes to her house in full, you know, bat, Dracula, whatever regalia. Goes in there and they recreate the psycho uh, shower scene. Except for this time, he doesn't stab her. He throws back the curtain and he's like, "I just wanted your autograph." And he drops a pen instead of a bloody knife. It's an ink pen that falls in the water and it does a little swirly, you know, scene that's from the film. And he runs away. So this part was really odd for me. I don't, hmm, I don't know if it really. It's not that it didn't add anything. It's just more of his mental decline, this this fall into madness, which you know I love when those are on film, especially when they're done really well. So he runs away from there, and I. Guess for whatever reason he decides it's time to start killing people, so he runs into that hooker that, you know, blew him off earlier in the film, and he's in full Dracula mode. He's talking to her like that character, and she's obviously freaked out and trying to just get away from him. Well, he ends up chasing her. What she 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 trips and falls on a fence, and it stabs through her neck, and it's kind of cheesy, but hey, it is what it is. It didn't really take away from the movie because I think that's the point of the movie. And then this is where you know that Homeboy has left Earth, right? He he kneels down and he starts sucking her blood. Now, one thing they do that is cool, that during these different kill scenes, they'll flash scenes of the movies that he's trying to reference. So it's Christopher Lee's Dracula. They're flashing scenes of that as he's chasing her and when he starts drinking her blood and all that. So uh, that was a really cool aspect of this film. And I don't know if I've seen it in other films. Of course, it has to be specific to this one because he's mirroring what he saw in those films. But any, either way, it was pretty cool. Another thing we learn after this first kill is that he's bothered by it. He is kind of bothered by the fact that he has killed someone, even though he wasn't directly, like he didn't stab or nothing like that. She tripped and fell. It was a direct result of what he was doing. And of course, then he drank her blood. But you see him kind of slip in and out of the character. So he'll go back to you know, being Eric, and then he'll slip back into those other characters. Very much like me, myself, and Irene, Jim Carrey's character, how you see him kind of flip-flop flip, flip flop back and forth. And speaking of Jim Carrey, this character reminds you of a lot, the, the Eric Benford character. His mannerisms and even his face a little bit reminds you a lot of Jim Carrey, even some of the ways he moves his body and stuff. So I wonder if he inspired some of Jim Carrey's stuff. I don't know. Just watch it and let me know what you think. All right, so he ends up going back to work. And he gets picked on by the guys that he made the bet with because they couldn't think of the name and he, you know, they made a bet, like a cash bet. They don't want to pay up and they push him around and pretty much just say, hey, we're not going to pay you. We'll just beat you up, which one, you know, whatever. And so he goes home. He makes himself into Hopalong Cassidy, which is played by William Boyd. Isn't that one of those TV attorneys? William Boyd. Has, does anyone know what I'm talking about? I don't know if that's a regional thing, but like I'm pretty sure there's some kind of TV attorney that has a commercial. With William Boyd. Is it the same one they played Hopalong Cassidy? It'd be weird if it was, but I don't know. If 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 you know, I'd be interesting to know if that's the case. Anyway, he goes out. He finds those two guys that he made the deal with, and he shows up in full character, wearing the cowboy shit and a big mask that looks like the uh, Hopalong Cassidy character. And he does like a quick draw with him, and it's kind of hokey. It has some. It almost sort of feels like killer clowns from outer space sort of scene, but he throws the guy a gun. He has a showdown with him, ends up shooting him and he only kills Mickey Rourke's character. His buddy gets away. And the only reason that's significant is because the next day it shows the two of them leaving the police station. And as they leave the police station, the buddy's like, they think it's me. And, you know, Eric's like, ah, they, you know, they don't know anything. If they knew they would have, we'd already be in jail, whatever. So he is super cool about all this stuff. I mean, almost seemingly untouchable for these murders. However, when they went to the police station, we didn't get to see it, but we find out that he talked to our psychologist guy and he goes to the captain like, hey, I did this test. You know, I gave him a questionnaire and they answered the test and there's three people that scored in the red or, or whatever that makes them suspects. And the first person he names is a, a female character that we never get to meet. And of course, the captain flips his shit. He's like, yeah, the, the old lady from you know, the mail room or something, you think she's some type of serial killer. And so he's, you know, pretty much blowing this, you know, your psychological bullshit stuff. It doesn't work. It's time to do real cop work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, the dynamic that those two are continuing to have through this film. But he does ask the female officer, like, hey, that Eric dude was kind of weird. I think we need to look a little more into that. So now we know the heat's starting to come on just a little bit, all right? We're going to start turning the movie up. Even though two people have been killed, the... Tension, I guess is gonna start cranking up finally oh and there is a funny line in there where that captain is talking to the dude and he's super pissed off because you know this isn't real police work or whatever captain, and the know psychologist sure guy lying, is just like I know the mind oh, and the captain's the mind, like fuck okay? the mind and it's just a cool scene So we cut back to Eric, and he's hitchhiking on the side of the road for whatever reason, and he ends up getting a ride with this producer, and he tells him a movie idea that he has, and the producer is really into it. He's like, hey, call me at the studio, and let's talk about this. I really like your idea. So he comes home. He's super happy, and as soon as he goes through the door, he's like, you know, Aunt Stella, Aunt Stella, you'll never believe what happened. You know, we're never going to have to worry. They're going to pick up my movie, and you see that he forgets. Like, he has forgotten that... He killed her and he goes back to her urn or whatever that he took home and he's, you know, feeling very remorseful and all that. So, again, you're starting to see that divide between when he takes on the persona of the, the characters from movies and then himself, because after she died earlier in the movie... He took the urn home and was dancing and having a great time. He threw away all that health food shit, you know, and was like cussing her. And there, really, there is a cool scene where he puts a cigarette out in the urn. I thought that was dope. I was like, yeah, that's fucking, that's dirty. <laughs> I like that. All right, so Eric goes back to work, and I think his boss ends up firing him for whatever. Oh, because he's been taking the moped out without asking. So he gets back, and he gets fired, and he refers to himself as Cody... Jarrett now I forgot to Google that name to see if it had any kind of significance but Cody Jarrett is what he starts calling himself and he starts talking with that real like yeah, say like that weird kind of accent and You know threatens the guy and then he kicks the moped over before he leaves There's just a lot of cool scenes in here that are very machismo, you know 80s vibe But of course you don't slight Eric and get away with it. So he comes back dressed as the mummy and Causes his boss to have a heart attack. So now he's killed all these people And each time he's just gotten more and more brazen. So the next scene, just real fast, he sees that producer that he talked to on TV and the producer basically gives away his movie idea and says that it's his own and doesn't give him any credit. So Eric finds him and this is pretty, pretty badass. So he finds the dude, it's the producer guy's birthday and he's getting a haircut and of course he's got all these, you know, his people around him, giving him cards and celebrating his birthday. Eric guy shows up dressed as an old-school gangster. He bought a really nice car, drives up. He's got the Tommy gun. He goes in there, says a bunch of, like, man, see, kind of stuff, and just ends up hosing the dude. So now there's no more hiding it, right? Because he showed up in broad daylight. He's got a Tommy gun, so he's just shot, I don't know, however, let's just say 150 rounds, you know, with this dude and killed him in front of all these people. Well, cameras and stuff, but the people were there when he started shooting. So now there's witnesses, And the jig is up, and we know that this is going to be the final chase. So now that there's no turning back, he creates a fake agency to get Marilyn to come to a photo shoot. And like I said, at this point, the cops are actively looking for him. And they go to his apartment, and we find out that Cody Jarrett... Oh, that's right. Cody Jarrett is Cagney's name in white heat. So... Whatever the fuck that means. I don't know. I, I want to say the whole end of this movie is the end of white heat because they flash scenes back and forth. I'm gonna say that's what movie it's from. But yeah, so anyway, there's a couple of parts in there where the psychologist is saying this, you know, this kid never had a chance. And one of the reasons why they say that is because they found his apartment and took a bunch of his stuff out and we find out that his aunt, Stella, was actually his mother. What the fuck? Why Why even throw that in there? I guess just to see like, more like this kid never had a chance, and that's part of it. Like He had a mom that wouldn't even own him. She lied and said that she was his aunt, and so he never even had a mother, but he did, but it was his aunt, and I guess she felt so bad after the husband left her and she lost use of her legs that she resented him so much that she couldn't even bear to be his mother. She pretended to be his aunt. Damn. Poor guy. Well, he's a murderer, so... Ah, fuck. I don't know. You know, poor guy. He's still a murderer. But fucking, you know, shit. Sucks, man. So he lures Marilyn into this photo shoot. He's dressed as the king of who gives a shit. I don't remember. And he starts taking pictures with her. Well, the cops figure out where he's at, but the psychologist guy and his cop buddy show up first. So he goes in there. And Eric's got a gun, like he's got a gun, he points it, and what does he do? He shoots the psychologist in the leg, right? Shoots this dude in the fucking leg, and when his cop buddy tries to return fire, he actually slaps the gun out of his hand. So he just truly believes in this method of like, we can save him, it's not his fault. He doesn't know what he's doing. I know he has shot me twice in the leg, but hold on a second. It's just fucking ridiculous to me because, you know, the only reason he didn't kill him is because he's a bad shot, you know, so uh, I, I don't know. Either way, he takes Marilyn and he starts running off with her. So you might say, well, why would Marilyn go along with this? I have no idea. I think maybe with her character, and this started in the beginning where she actually felt, even though she knew he was kind of a creepo, went out with him alone and then agreed to go on a date with him and all that stuff was because maybe she's entranced by this too. So the idea of escapism, uh, escapism with him through those films and then her actually being a Marilyn impersonator, she, I guess, runs the same through lines as him for her character. So, you know, that's really something that I wrestled with in the film was, you know, what, what does her character mean in this film? Where does she match up? Is she just... Right there mentally with him, as far as you know, she's got stars in her eyes for the film where she actually wants to be in movies, and Eric's character actually wants to be the movie. If that makes sense, if you if you kind of catch my drift there, so anyway, so why does she go with him? Well, I'll tell you another reason because he gave her drugs. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he pops out a fucking Altoids looking can, I'm sure it was called something else back then, or maybe not. Pops out these things puts one in her mouth and she just takes it, doesn't even know what it is. But maybe that's because she wants to be Marilyn Monroe, right? So how did Marilyn Monroe die? I believe it was a drug overdose. So maybe it's all just part of it. So we end with this extended chase scene. They chase him through the building. They chase him into some uh, building that's on Hollywood Square. I'm sure it has a name, but I don't know what it is. But it looks like some kind of, you know, asian dynasty type things it's got the real ornate gold and red and the big dragons out front and all that i'm sure that has a name but i've never been there so i don't know but it is like the walk of fame because there's the little you know tiles and stuff with the stars or whatever so anyway he gives chase into that building and the psychologist dude shows up but then at that point the captain shows up and he's like you're not fucking going in there and all these swat team dudes get out and they're just ready to smoke this guy There is a funny line here where the captain says to the SWAT team guys and everyone else, don't shoot until he turns and points his gun at the crowd. Because, of course, a crowd has gathered at this point. And there's all these spotlights on him and everything. But he's like, yeah, don't shoot him until he shoots at us. Which is funny because he's standing next to the psychologist dude that's already been shot in the leg. But I guess maybe that's the one concession he's given that guy because he's like, well, shit, if you got shot in the leg and you still believe in this stuff, I can at least give you that. We'll wait until he points a gun at us. So this last chase scene lasts too long it does last too long and it kind of takes away a little bit from the movie but again i think it's supposed to be echoing some other film maybe that white heat film it does flash some images from that and maybe it's very similar i don't know but at the end it's sad the dude ends up letting Marilyn go and he goes to the top of the building he gets absolutely showered with gunfire right gets filled full of holes but wait He's not dead yet. He stands back up, says some more stuff about I'm finally a star, I'm a star, or whatever, I don't know, and gets shot again and that's the end of him, right? So that's the that's the end of the movie. But so the movie like I said, on its own pretty straightforward film, it it follows a pretty standard type of filmmaking and all that, but I thought it was pretty good. I really liked that character and the ideas that were in the film all the call-outs to the old black-and-white films, you know, it definitely made me more interested to maybe want to check some of those movies out and see a little more about what they're about. But again, that main character, Eric, I just felt bad for him, you know, from start to finish, even though he was murdering people and all that. And he, by all means, was murdering innocent people, but just the fact of how he was shit on ever since he was a kid and he never had a chance. So I get the message that they were trying to put forth in that movie. And I don't know if this is one of those films where that was just its whole point. It was just created to push that, you know, narrative. such a stupid word, but to push that idea or whatever, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Either way, it was a cool film to watch. It's definitely worth watching. It's not bad. I don't think you'll be disappointed when you see it. If nothing else, just the 80s nostalgia in it is cool, and it's got, you know, good characters. The ending kind of fell off a little bit, but other than that, sweet-ass film. And I did wanna add one last thing to this. Just with the psychological dude's character in this, I don't even know if the film was actually trying to portray him as a joke or trying to portray him as a valid you know, tool in uh, you know, whatever you wanna call it, rehabilitation or police work or whatever it is. I think it absolutely is. Uh, you never know what someone's background is or what they've been through or what they've lost or how they've been treated since the time they were a kid. Everyone has different life experiences that pushes them to a breaking point or a, a loss of reality or maybe a, an inability to deal with certain issues or rejections or whatever that might be. And I like that this film was kind of shining a light on it. So, again, I don't know if they were trying to make fun of that or not, but I think it's really important. And I think it's something that even today, obviously, with all the different influences that we have around us, whether it's on the Internet, you know, television, movies, video games, all those different things... Can inf- I don't want to say they influence behavior, but I'm just saying if you have those things on top of mental health issues or maybe, you know, uh, abuse that someone might have suffered, you know, all the way from the time they were born, that kind of stuff, it's, uh, it's something that needs to be looked at. And I like that this film at least did its part in the 80s to say, hey, maybe we should look at this. Now, I feel like in the film, this dude was trying to say the movies were doing all of it, you know. But then they pointed out that his mom was a fucking weirdo and all this other stuff. So it's all these different factors. You know, there's a great line that I read in one of my sociology classes where they said there's no such thing as random violence. And I think that this film is a testament to that line. But yeah, so oh, also the one last thing I wanted to get to also with this film was I felt like this was... All right, I'm just going to say it, and someone might get mad, and that's fine. But I didn't like the new Joker film, okay? I thought it was crap. It sure as hell wasn't, you know, Batman, canon, that kind of stuff. I just didn't enjoy it. Maybe as a film on its own, but now they're just like, well, we slap the Joker makeup on someone, and all of a sudden it's a Joker film. Why so serious, right? That's the fucking phrase, and it applies more so than anything to the most recent Joker film. It just wasn't a good Batman film, but it was good about pointing out, just like this film, parts about mental illness and things that can affect people, whether it's society, you know, social pressures, family pressures, whatever it might be that can push people over the edge. If you're hammered every single day with some bullshit, that has to take an effect on you, right? So I didn't like that film. I thought that it kind of, in a way, was sort of a copycat of this film. Even though it wasn't about a cinephile guy, it had that same type of attitude to it. And I think it even had some of the same, like I said earlier, mannerisms and stuff like that, that this film portrayed. So, I don't want to say, the dude was probably influenced at least a little bit by this. He had to be. So, yeah, that's my hot take. I'll defend it to whoever, you know, whatever. So... So, yeah, that's just my take on the films. Uh, The Joker as well. That's just how I felt about it. It wasn't that cool. It wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't super terrific acting. It wasn't any of those things that it got celebrated for. Take the Batman marker off of it, and it would have been a way better film. Just like the Evil Dead new film that came out. Take the Evil Dead marker off of it, and it would have been a way better fucking film. Okay? So, the point I want to make here, because I'm getting sidetracked, and I'm going to go off on another tangent, is mental health issues and that kind of stuff is a real deal. If you ever fall into something like this, a depression or a break, fun to watch on film. And you know why in a horror film? Cause they're fucking terrifying, right? So imagine living through that, how terrifying that is. It's just entertainment for me. Couldn't imagine if someone was literally going through that. And I use that word in the right way, not how everyone uses it today. But if you are going through something like that, so, and I've said it on other shows before, and I'll say it now. If you are in a situation like that, please, 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 please reach out to someone, a family member, a friend, a hotline, whatever it might be, and try to talk to someone and get some help, whatever that might mean to you, to keep yourself from fall falling further into that abyss and you know, just take care of yourself. There's lots of different avenues of help out there, and there's people that want to help you. So I'll try to put some of those numbers in the show notes for hotlines and stuff like that. But that's going to be our show for today. So thanks for listening to this week's movie review episode. This has been the Just James Horror Review. If you want to write into the show, write into justjameshorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Write in whatever you want. Write in just to say, hey, write in and talk a little smack. Whatever it is, I'm always down. Tune in next week for maybe another surprise. Oh, what? Yes, sir. Check us out next week. We're going to have a special guest on the show to review the movie May. It's one of my favorites. It is definitely my Romeo and Juliet. I love that film, so tune in to find out what I think about it and what our special guests think about it. This has been the Just James Overview. I'm your host, Just James. Take care. The words were
1: Latin gibberish to Gregory and the bishop.